1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Thanks, Sandra. Uh, keep your Bibles open. Um, obviously, there's some difficult uh, and even controversial things in there, uh, and you'll be well served if you can follow along uh, as we work our way through these verses together. Uh, when we were kids, my brother and I, uh, during the school holidays, we used to work um, on Dad's uh, tomato farm. Um, we did it because there was money. We probably weren't the best employees money could buy. Uh, we were always mucking around, we were always making up games with the jobs we had uh, and as brothers do, we were always competing. Uh, one of our favourite games was at planting time. Uh, we used to plant out the seedlings that Dad grew up, they came in uh, big styrofoam trays and when they were empty, uh, all the styrofoam trays had to be packed away which is a great time for a game, for a, a bit of uh, competition. Who can carry the biggest stack of styrofoam trays? Uh, and so we'd be wobbling around the farm with this you know, three or four metre stack of styrofoam trays in one hand, it was a one-handed game of course, uh, trying to balance them around, pre precariously making a mess, getting in trouble. But you see, there's a trick to that game. Uh, all the new employees, they just couldn't get it. Uh, there's a trick that we'd worked out. Don't look at the lowest tray. Don't look at the one that's sitting in your hand. Uh, if you do, you will never win the game. You'll never get more than a half a dozen trays. You, you're hopeless. Instead, look at the top tray. Look at the furthest one away. If you do that, and it's not a windy day, you can get a real good stack going until Dad finds you. <laughs> then there's trouble. But anyway, you could get a good stack going just by looking at the top. Then you can balance so you can keep everything together and hopefully win the game. Now today we're going to find out that marriage is a little bit the same. Uh, not that it's a competition, uh, not that it's wobbly or precarious, but we're going to find, <laughs> well, we're going to find that the trick to marriage, uh, the trick to a, a righter, better, stronger marriage is to look to the top. Not at the immediate, first of all, not even first of all at each other, but to the top, to the highest point, to God. And if we do that, if we look to him uh, as husbands and wives, if we keep our eyes fixed on him, then there is great benefit to our marriage but also to our walk with him. We'll be built, we'll be established together in this living hope that Jesus has given us. How is that possible? 
Well, today we're going to see that in the passage before us. Now, before we jump in, uh, we need to acknowledge that there are many here who are not married uh, and not in a marriage relationship for a whole range of reasons. Uh, And if that's you, then there's two things that I want to say to you before we get into these verses. First of all, that's okay. It's okay to be single. There is more to life uh, than marriage. And in fact, when we read the Bible, the Bible places a great value uh, on singleness. It says it's completely legitimate, and not only legitimate, but in fact a good thing in the right context. Marriage is not first, and it's not as if singleness is second best. Uh, It is important, it is valuable, and I encourage you, if you're in that situation, to see it, uh, to see your singleness uh, for the glory and service of God. That's number one. Number two, uh, you don't get to tune out. (laughs) You probably think, wow, free pass. I can kind of clock out for the next 20 minutes or so. No, Uh, this is not only for you if you are married uh, and it's not only for you if marriage is potentially in your future. This is for you uh, if you know married people, which you're sitting here, you do. Uh, If you interact with them in church, in your connect, you need to hear these words too. Uh, to encourage those whom you know who are married, to keep them accountable, to serve them. Uh, So sorry, no tuning out, um, but you need to keep with us in this one this morning. So let's jump in. Let's see what we learn about marriage relationship. Now you might have noticed as we read these verses, they're a little unweighted. Uh, Six verses for the wives, only one verse for husbands. It's not because, sadly to say, husbands have it all together. Um, I wish that was the case. But actually what Peter is doing here is breaking the cultural norm. So in his day it wasn't unusual for for letters and books to be written uh, regarding marriage, but in them wives were never addressed. They were always written entirely to the husband. It was husband do this, husband do this, husband do this. Wives were never addressed. And so what Peter's doing is flipping all that on its head and saying, wives, you matter. You matter so much, I'm going to talk to you more than husbands. Your role is important. Peter's showing us that in Jesus, things are changing. Now, in light of that change, in light of this living hope that we have in Jesus, in light of the fact, as we've seen in past weeks, that he's making us a new nation, making us a new people, what's the implications for our families? We've seen implications for society, for our work, What about marriage? Well, Peter's answer is, it's going to make it better. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now, that, that phrase, in the same way, is not a link to the verses just before, the the verses that were speaking about slaves and servants, it's actually sending us all the way back to the very start of this section, way back in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 and 13. He's saying, in the same way, doing good for God's sake, declaring God's name by doing that good, living for his sake, that's, that's driving marriage. Whether you're a wife, whether you're a husband, that's driving marriage. It is living with an eye to God. What does that look like? Well, Peter says, first of all, it looks like submission. Now, there's a few things we have to note 
uh, regarding that word. First of all, he says, it is submission to your husbands. Uh, He's very deliberate here. It is to your husband. It's not to men in general. Uh, He's saying, this is the marriage relationship in view here. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now that submission, uh, like the submission we saw last week to the authorities and leaders uh, over us, is a submission of voluntary submission. Uh, It's not enforced. There's no command anywhere in the Bible for husbands to make your wives submit. It is only to your wives. Voluntarily submit yourself to your husbands. Uh, You're free in Jesus and use your freedom well by submitting to the order that he's instituted in this world. Now, like any other submission in the Bible, this submission is not absolute. It is not a submission to sin. If the question is between uh, doing what God says and what your husband says, it is always come down with God. It is never a submission to sin. But neither is it a submission to any violence or harm or any sort of abuse, whether it be physical or sexual or emotional. That is not what this submission is about. And if that is you, then we need to talk about that. Let's, let's do that at some point, discreetly, however is best. But that is not submission. It is not biblical submission. But finally, we just need to note, submission is not about value. It is about role. Uh, being called to submission is not a statement of worth or uh, hierarchy of importance. Uh, in fact, what we actually see here is that God places an incredible value on submission. Now, he says it's really precious. Uh, if you've got your Bible there, look with me at verses 3 to 6. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair or the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now let's be clear, this is not a command uh, that you ought not wear jewellery or nice clothes or do your hair. If it was, we'd have to be having an awkward discussion right now, ladies. Uh, But that's not the point. That's not what's in sight here. Peter's simply saying, don't seek that first as your beauty. In fact, don't let your appearance be the most beautiful thing about you. He's saying, there's something better. There's something far more precious. Godliness, gentleness, quietness, a beauty that is unfading, a beauty that God treasures and is precious in his eye. Now I think we have a tendency when we look at this passage, we we look at those qualities and we think they're very feminine. (laughs) They're they're very feminine sort of qualities. But that's not the point. Peter's not writing this letter to say to women, act like women. Uh, That would be a dumb thing to write. He's only got a short letter. Why would he tell women to be like women? That's not his point. No, what Peter is actually saying is, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. These qualities he's picking out here, they're not, uh, first of all, feminine qualities. In fact, they're qualities that Jesus used to describe himself. Quietness, gentleness, those are words that Jesus used of him. And so what Peter's saying here is, don't just act like women, that's, that's kind of pointless. He's saying, if you want lasting and deep and rich beauty, act like Jesus. 
Be like Jesus. And that is this unfading beauty that is precious in God's eyes. Pursue that beauty. I mean, after all, if you were going to pursue worldly beauty, where are you going to start? Which one are you going to choose? You might choose to be beautiful like the Mercy tribe from Ethiopia. Um, For them, the, the picture of true beauty is to have the largest plate in your bottom lip. I mean, clearly none of you have chosen to go down that path, but that's one standard of true beauty. Maybe you choose to be beautiful like uh, women in the, some Indonesian tribes. Uh, the picture of true beauty is a woman with perfectly filed teeth and intricate scarification. Uh, maybe beauty like the Maasai tribe in Kenya. Uh, you know, the, the beauty is the biggest stretched earlobes matched with a beautifully shaved head. Which beauty are you going to choose? Now, of course, Peter's point here is, don't pay, is not uh, that you ought to pay no attention to your, your, your appearance. Uh, you're free to dress and act like any of those things or any other standard of beauty. But his point is, all of that is fleeting. All of that is changing. But God's standard of beauty isn't. It is to be like Jesus. You have been saved out of futility by Jesus. You have been rescued out of your empty way of life by Jesus and brought into this fullest and richest life, a life of being his child, a life of being part of his people, uh, an important part of his eternal plan. You have a living and solid and eternal hope in him. And so live it out as a wife in your marriage. Don't be defined by worldly standards or worldly ways. Don't let the values of society dictate how you live. Instead, live like Jesus and pursue the beauty that God treasures. Now, in a sense, it's kind of not so countercultural. Um, you, you, we get that, that kind of pushback uh, every so often, you know, that it's what's inside that counts, I'm not my outfit, I'm not what I look like. You know, we, we hear that Uh, every now and again and it's true but Peter actually has so much more in mind here. Now it's it's not a drive here to self-fulfilment, it's not a drive to even first pleasing your husband. No, what Peter says is what's driving you is, is first of all and above all God. When he speaks about uh, women of the past, he uses the example of Sarah, what he says about them is they put their hope in God. It is your hope in God, in the life and salvation and eternity and value and worth that you find in him alone, it is that hope that calls you to live as his child. In Christ-likeness, a Christ-likeness that is pure and reverent, that is for God in all things, that is gentle and quiet as Christ himself was, that submits as Jesus willingly submitted himself. Now I'm not going to pretend this is, this is easy. Uh, it is hard. There's a vulnerability here. There is a risk. But as we saw last week, just as Jesus entrusted himself on the harder path to God, so too entrust yourself to God and live the life that he's calling you to. Now if you are married uh, to a non-believer... Um, as Peter clearly writes to here, then your path in this is is hard. It's a challenge, but it is possible. 
Uh, Peter's not making up some sort of uh, strange mission strategy here that you should marry non-Christians and live well and then hopefully they'll come to faith. Uh, That's not his point. He's saying instead he's writing to people who find themselves in this situation and he's doing so with a great promise. He's saying in living for God, in in being Christ-like, there is an enormous opportunity here that they may be won over. That is that they too, your husband, might find Jesus and the living hope in him. Uh, It's not that you shouldn't speak the gospel. You should as you can. But he's saying that your very way of life, your living out of that hope that you have, may win your husband and bring him to faith. Not that it's just a faint chance or a mere possibility, but Peter writes of it as something that's very real, that husbands can and will and do come to faith by watching their wives live out that hope that they have. Now, if you are married to a believer, then all of this is still for you. In fact, the whole passage here is for you just as much. Uh, And your ability, your freedom to live this life out uh, is all the more. So, So be glad, be grateful and live out your hope too in submission, in quietness, in gentleness, in reverence to God and in doing so bless not only your marriage and your family but honour God. Well what about the men? Well it turns out that even though husbands have a very different set of instructions it is the same essential drive uh, and motivation behind them. Look with me again at verse 7. Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Uh, Just like we said with regards to wives, uh, that, that phrase in the same way is referring us back right to the head of this passage to doing the good that calls, uh, God calls us to, that doing it, uh, living for his sake, uh, living in the fear of him. And in fact, Peter sneaks in another reminder uh, of that into verse 7 for us. And it's, it's in that phrase there, uh, be considerate as you live with them. I've never really been able to make heads and tails of that, that, that phrase. It seems quite strange. Um, literally what it says is, live with your wives according to knowledge. That's not a great deal clearer until you remember that when Peter uses the word knowledge throughout this letter, what he's talking about is knowing God and being known by God. Uh, Knowing him as a father, knowing that you're saved by him, knowing that your hope is in him, knowing that you're sent to do his will. And so what he's saying is, husbands, as you know God, let that knowledge rule and guide how you live in relationship with your wife. We need to hear that. Uh, We like to think we know better. It's why, ladies, it's why we don't ask for directions and it's why we don't read manuals because we know better. But that doesn't cut it here. doesn't cut it in the marriage relationship. Uh, It's not our knowledge, it's not our brilliance, it's not our intuitive ability to figure things out, whether that exists or simply be a figment of our imagination. It is knowing God and living that knowledge out that matters in our marriage. And what that looks like is understanding that our wives aren't like us and treating them as such. 
Uh, the NIV has the, the phrase there, weaker partner. It's literally weaker vessel. Maybe some of your Bibles have that instead. It doesn't sound very complimentary, but it's really not an insult. It's, it's, it's not designed in that way anyway. Uh, the word vessel is, is not derogatory. We find it used to describe men in other parts of the Bible. Um, and it's probably used by Peter here simply as a reminder that uh, our wives belong to God, that they're not only given uh, by him and created by him, but that they belong to him and are used by him for his plan. That said, I don't recommend you call your wife a vessel. Um, not a great idea. But neither is the word weaker an insult. Um, we, we kind of read that with our own cultural um, background But what Peter is actually just doing here is acknowledging a general difference between men and women. He's simply saying husbands are usually, not always, but usually physically stronger than their wives. Just be aware of it. That's all he's saying. His point is, husbands, your wife is different to you. Know that, recognise that and treat her accordingly. And yet... Understand that for all that difference, there is one key, in fact, vital similarity. Because husbands, our wives are heirs with us of the gracious gift of life. As different as our wives are, they are equal heirs with us of that living hope in Jesus. We share that, we are entirely together in that. And so we are same in that, but we're also different. It's like fishing. (laughs) Uh, When I go trout fishing, um, I always take two rods with me. I take my spinning rod and I take my fly rod. I like both rods. Uh, I like variety. Variety is good and so I take both. Now, spinning, that's casting a lure, you know, plastic metal lure, whatever. Fly fishing, casting a fly. It's self-explanatory. They're essentially the same thing, aren't they? You cast something out, you wind it back in, intending that there'll be a fish on the end. They're both fishing. The essential activity is the same, but they're different. Uh, When you're spinning, you you hoof a lure out, you wind it back in and you do it again. There's a bit of technique in there, there's a bit of skill, but it's fairly simple. Fly fishing is not. (laughs) This is from someone who's still learning how to do it. It's very technical. You have to be very careful, it's very delicate sometimes very frustrating. Uh, If you try to cast a lure like you cast a fly, it won't work. (laughs) Trust me, I've tried. If you try to cast a fly like you cast a lure, it also won't work. The two are different. They're the same activity, but they're different. Now, guys, if we can get that, if we can understand that, so we can do it in marriage. Our wives are the same as us, but they are different. It seems a stupid reminder, but we need it, don't we? Your wife is not like you. She is not like you in a whole range of things. Uh, She processes things differently to you. Different motivations drive her than what drives you. She has different strengths and different weaknesses to you. Her fears are different. Her hopes are different. We could go on. She is not like you. And so because your hope husbands, is in God because your identity and strength is in him, you are free to practice the godly masculinity that you are called to here that recognises that your wife is different 
Treat her as such and act well towards her. Knowing your wife, respecting her. In fact, the word respect there is far stronger. It's actually the word honour. Honouring your wife. Nurturing her, leading her so that she will grow. And not just grow closer to you, but grow closer to God. So don't ride roughshod over her feelings and her fears and her emotions. Uh, You might be able to handle that. You might even want your emotions and feelings and fears to be handled like that, but she doesn't. Understand that she's different. Be considerate and honour her. In fact, give special place, give special honour to her differences and treat her well. As husbands, we are never to use our authority or headship in a selfless or thoughtless way. Instead, we use it always conscious, not only of who we are, but who our wives are in God. And so we lead our wives in a way that honours them, not ourselves. Now, I think one of the, the biggest areas in this is being careful in how we speak uh, with our wives and how we speak about our wives, whether they're present or not. I mean, after all, what's better? Is it better to have a good joke with the fellas or honour our wives and speak well of them? I mean, we, we, you know, I, we've heard it all. We say, oh, it's just a laugh, you know, just having a joke. But is that really all it is? Because our jokes still communicate things. Your wife is not one of the boys, so don't joke about her like she is. Don't joke with her as if she was. She is different, and rather than complaining about her differences, celebrate them. Thank God your wife is not like you. I mean, the alternative is far worse. Celebrate and honour her as different. Honour her because this stuff matters. Uh, Not just for her sake, but it matters for yours as well. Because this is how we we live our hope. This is how we walk in step with God. And not living this way is to get out of step with God. And there are consequences to that. And Peter mentions them right at the end of verse 7 there. He says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Getting out of step in this way becomes, can become, a hindrance to our prayers, that is, a hindrance to our walk with God and our closeness to him. If you don't act well towards your wife, not only will your marriage suffer, but your walk with God will too. So get it right. Know God, know your wife, honour her differences, treasure her as one who shares a living hope with you. And together, let's build God-centred marriages. As husbands, as wives, seeking God, seeking to walk closely with him together for the good of each of your relationships with him. We have a living hope. So let's let that transform even the way we live in our marriages, not only for our good, but also for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that our marriages uh, would be places where you are lived for, uh, would be places where you are glorified. 
Father, we pray for those marriages here where one of the partners is not a Christian. Father, we ask that in your mercy you would do a powerful work there and win the unbelieving spouse to yourself and to the living hope that is found in Jesus alone. Father, we pray for those marriages here where both husband and wife are yours. Father, may they be places where you are seen and where the living hope that we have in Jesus is lived out clearly and gladly. Father, we also pray for those singles amongst us, uh, those who have been in marriages or those uh, who are not at this time. Father, may you bless our singles with contentment and peace and may you help us as a church community support uh, and nourish them and be a real family to them so that together we might grow in you and enjoy, live out the hope that you have given us in Jesus our Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen.